This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I saw this like humorous meme the other day where there was a Bronco fan with a shirt on and there was like eight quarterbacks names with a cross through it, you know, and, and he's drinking the quarterback Kool-Aid and, I, you know, our job is to make sure that this next one, you know, doesn't have a line through it. The next one. What was one of those names, Russell Wilson, on the meme that had the line through it? Because if it wasn't part of the meme, it should have been. Going to have to add it on. The next I believe it one. was. And it actually was. It was. Here, here, uh, so he did yeah. not dispute that no. in the remarks we just heard. He did not dispute that, wait a minute, the guy crossed out one name who still could be in our plans. He didn't qualify it at all. Wilson no. is the same as Joe Flacco. Wilson is the same as Case Keenum. And in fact, uh, maybe the shirt was too small to contain more than eight names because he could have named more. Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Case Keenum. Then you go to Alan Flacco, Driscoll, Rippon, Locke, Bridgewater. All guys who have started at least one game as a Bronco at quarterback. Kendall Hinton slash Philip Lindsay yeah. and Russell Wilson. This is where the Broncos Eddie stand. Bridgewater. Up. Yeah, Bridgewater on there as well. There. Everybody. They got, they got the works. But borrowed from Cleveland, by the way, which Cleveland's probably happy to get rid of that meme. For a long time outside Cleveland Stadium, there was a, a store yeah, that I had a, a stitch bread, and, and they just kept oh, adding nameplates. No, it went to the ground. <laughs> they, just kept, they just kept adding masking tape. Did it go underground? Yeah, I don't know. It was dragging along the, the back like a wedding train off of someone's dress. I mean, it was just the quarterbacks there. But the Broncos have gotten to it. But again, the, the opportunity part there we need to make sure the next one that was sean payton out at the scouting combine in indy again one of the most overvalued parts of the process beware by the way um also i, I posted that on social media astro if you're interested it is um obvious clickbait season everybody i mean i i, I saw one today i'm not even going to bother naming the uh the outlet saying the broncos have interest in algeria sneed well i bet they do Bet they also have interest in Aaron Donald and Christian McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson and where do these people? Maybe Travis Kelsey. I mean, I'm sure they're interested. Where do these I mean, people I bet they would come be. from? <laughs> well, what kind of rock are they crawling out from under? Someone's gonna click it, right? They're like, okay, yeah. I mean, interested? Sure, right. I mean, why not? The, the Nuggets are probably interested in adding LeBron James for the playoff stretch. Why not? I mean, interested? That doesn't mean anything. This team has. Salary uh, cap nightmares boy, I, in front I, of it. You know, Peter King retired at the right time. <laughs> I, I mean, this, this stuff on social media and in print now, uh, even stuff you read at otherwise reputable sites. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, mock drafts are about as close to useless in the month of February. Right now, they as are anything in sports right right and right know, now they I, are now now hey if it keeps going this way jj mccarthy will be the number one overall draft pick right he's trending in that direction trending up that'd be good actually for the he's not even broncos. there for the broncos according to the athletics latest mock draft he's not even there minnesota snaps him up at number 11 and the broncos of course take an edge rusher exactly what they need right by the way, George Payton today also indicated that um, 
No, but first, for, foremost, uh, Algeria Sneed is going to be franchise tagged by the Chiefs. Uh, yeah. So the Broncos could be yes. interested as much as they'd like, but... He's not going anywhere. No, he's not going anywhere. Come on. But the idea you know, behind... Because um, it's the Chiefs, I wouldn't put it past him. I think they're going to find a way to keep to Chris Jones. To extend Chris Jones yep. and I think they'll franchise tag mm-hmm. Sneed. Sneed. I think that's exactly what they're going to do. I think they'll find a way to do it. The... You talk about the edge guys, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we can get into that a little bit, too. But George Payton talked about it, was asked briefly about Drew Sanders, the speedy draft pick from last year. As in what position does yep, he play? and said he'll probably end up on the edge, to which I keep looking at it. Well, how many edge guys can you play at once? Where, where the idea, especially when you have these rangy guys, they've taken Baron Browning, and they, they've moved him to the outside. And, okay, I guess that's fine. Although Browning is a rookie, showed a lot of promise with the sideline to sideline speed. The Broncos love turning these inside linebackers yeah, into edge Sanders, rushers. same thing. I, I, I'm looking at the way the NFL is run right now. I, I guess the Broncos are so thrilled at, with Singletary, uh, or Singleton and uh, Jewel. Singletary. <laughs> Talk about your Freudian slips. And uh, uh, Josie Jewell, uh, I mean, although everybody thinks Josie Jewell is gone. Maybe not. If they're going to move Drew Sanders to the outside. Maybe not. They keep Maybe taking not. all the inside guys and moving them outside, yeah. or eventually, I don't know, you'll have Jonathan Cooper Who and Browning and Benito and Sanders and about four other guys, and I guess they'll just play one down a piece. I don't in, know. In his or her right mind, would offer Josie Jewell, who I think is a better guy than Dalton Reisner, but as a player, much more than Dalton Reisner is making now. I wouldn't. I mean, he's a good guy. He makes he all the plays he's supposed to do. Yeah, his assignments. All, right. But the last time I looked, when you make a tackle, it's supposed to come before the ball carrier or the receiver gains nine or ten yards. Ideally. That, that would be nice. Yeah. And with Josie Jewell, it rarely happens that way. But... This team is is obviously that we'll find out with what George Payton and everything that's going there and the idea of how many guys you can have on the edge. To me, I look at this team and say, <laughs> I would have left Baron Browning, Andrew Sanders in the middle and actually have some sort of defense against tight ends. But yeah, but then again, what not, do I know? But, but you know, their inside guys can't cover Kelsey. The only guy in the Broncos who I, I would ever feel comfortable Justin covering Simmons. Kelsey is Justin Simmons, not because he would necessarily shut Kelsey down, but because he's good at intercepting Patrick Mahomes passes. Yep. No one else on the Broncos is any good at doing that. Very few that people in the league are. Other than Justin Simmons. Right. Who is very good at doing it. In fact, better than anybody else in doing it, although he plays against Patrick Mahomes more often than just about mm-hmm. anybody. The idea of the decision to be made of Russell Wilson, if you didn't just hear that clip that Danny Bailey played in the booth there where Sean Payton talked about the next one, in other words, the next quarterback, uh, the the decision on Russell Wilson will apparently happen within the next two weeks, Sandy. In case you still want to believe for a second it hasn't Are you supposed to be good at bluffing? You talk about your Freudian slips. I mean, Sean Payton just said the next one. I mean... He's not even bluffing no. anymore. Well, the funny thing is, I, I, two weeks. I did, I did love Sean Keeler's line at the top of his column today in the Denver Post. And, uh, Sean Keeler's guy's really growing on me as a columnist. Oh, um, I love Sean Keeler. 
because I, I loved it because whether it, Sean's probably too young to remember, but it was so reminiscent of the Billy Martin line once said about Reggie Jackson and George Steinbrenner. One's a born liar and one's a convicted one, which was subjective in terms of the reference to Reggie, but objectively true in the reference to Steinbrenner, who was convicted for lying about campaign contributions to Richard Nixon's campaign Mm -hmm. in the 1970s. Factually, Billy Martin was right. Still got him resigned, we like to say. In one of many times. One of many times he uh, (laughs) got resigned. Uh, And Sean Keeler's line was, one's a born fibber, which is kind of a nicer way of saying born liar. Much nicer. That would be Peyton. And the other's delusional. Now, Billy Martin didn't say Reggie Jackson was delusional, uh, but maybe he should have. I don't know. Maybe he would have uh, not gotten fired, at least not in that particular instance. I think that was the 1978 version of Billy getting fired or getting resigned by uh, George Steinbrenner. But uh, I I could almost predict before I read it what the next sentence would be. Sean Payton and Russell Wilson deserve each other. (laughs) Well, it's not going to happen. And within the next two weeks, they'll make the decision, if you believe that. Of course, they'll make this decision within the next two weeks. Because two weeks from now and five days, Russell Wilson's 2025 contract becomes guaranteed. So, yeah, I suspect within the next two weeks, in other words, we'll hear about it. Because, of course, the decision has already been made. And, of course, it is that Russell Wilson is going to go. But they have to sort of hold out hope that maybe someone might trade something for him and it might get them off the hook for a little bit. That obviously isn't going to happen either. But Peyton had an opportunity to hold court today out at Indianapolis, and he spent a little moment at these combines. And to his credit, by the way, talked about the combine for what it initially really was and talked about it just to get baseline medicals. And then we decided, well, you're all here. Why don't you run a 40? While you're all here, maybe run some of these cone drills. And it turned into what it is. But was asked about, what he finds to be desirable player traits that they might be able to identify at the scouting combine. You know, we're looking for goal-driven players, uh, athletes that are unselfish to some degree. And um, and then I, I would say that one trait is that, you know, we use that term grit a lot, but that, you know, that, that ability to get up time and time again, overcome adversity, um, it's a little bit more challenging now with the portal. Like I started thinking to myself, how many times when I was in school that I would have loved to jump into a portal, you know, upset or disappointed or mad or whatever, had a bad practice. And, um, but those traits still exist. And I think those are important traits when we're visiting with um, young athletes. Boy, there are all kinds of interesting things to sift through there. Um, most of what he says, in fact, just about all of what he says, has nothing to do with 40 times, nothing to do with bench pressing X number of mm-hmm. pounds, has everything to do with the interview process. Those are all things you find out in the interview. All the other stuff is a colossal waste of time and a joke. And I've said this before. That's why they're called the Underwear Olympics. It is 
a complete joke. And Peter King was the latest to suggest in his final column for NBC Sports that the combine is basically a joke. And he, he's, he's tired of it. He thinks it's the most overcovered, ridiculous thing, and I do too. Uh, NFL Network covers it seriously. But they don't cover, and I'm not saying they're able to do this, but they don't cover the only part that matters, right. and those are the interviews, which obviously they can't cover. ESPN the same way. And they make such a big deal of all these things that even Sean Payton suggests have nothing to do with the traits they're looking for in a player. You only find out about those traits in an interview. And certain questions, which may seem inappropriate or offensive, are designed, I think, not always, but they're designed to provoke a reaction that gives you some insight into the player. The whole portal thing reminds me of the apparent decision the Broncos made a few years ago not to draft Micah Parsons. Now, that had nothing to do with the transfer portal, but it did have to do with Micah Parsons making the decision, which he was very much entitled to make and hardly the only one who made it, that in 2020 he was not going to play football. Every college player was given that option. And the Broncos, again, not the only team I suspect, but one of the teams I'm convinced that made a decision, we will not draft anyone who didn't play in 2020. We need more recent tape. That was more or less George Payton's comment, although he didn't come right out and say, we're not drafting Micah Parsons because... He didn't play football last year, but they right. said they, they weren't willing to go off tape from a rookie, uh, rookie from a junior player who without, had played yeah, in the last any, year without, without seeing film. Sure, play recently. And, oh, okay. Uh, it sounds as if Sean Payton is saying, I probably don't want anyone who's jumped into the transfer portal. It sounded like he was... Uh, maybe contemptuous is too strong a word, but somewhat leery. Let me yeah. use that word. Yeah. Somewhat leery about anyone who has jumped into the transfer portal because they were disgruntled with their lot in life. Right. The argument uh, uh, for someone, and we, we've heard that from fans too, that, that, you know, you should stick it out and you should live with the fact that things aren't the way you wanted, but you should stick it out and, you, you can make Unless that argument. Unless you're coming to Colorado. And then right. Come on ahead. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, and the, the transfer portal is here to stay, and that's the way it's going to work. But I but I get that I, I heard the same thing, that Sean Payton would rather have the guys that will deal with the adversity instead of at least the perception, even though we know it's not as cut and dried as that, as someone who might sort of try to run at the first sign of it and try to find greener pastures. So would Sean Payton not have drafted Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow left Mm-hmm. Go to LSU. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's not that simple, right? It, it, it isn't. Would you have never, I suspect would you have he never drafted a Jalen Hurts or, you know, how many other right. players? <laughs> well, in theory, that would say he's a guy that wouldn't draft Bo Nix. Right. Or Michael He'd Penix. Be out. Michael Penix be out. Guys that had transferred. So right. tough to say. But he also spent a little bit of time talking about the positions that were the most difficult to evaluate at this stage of the offseason. The difficulties in evaluating, I think the receiver position is difficult. There are a lot of misses there. Um, and the quarterback position is difficult. 
Um, sometimes, and this is not just recent, and we go all the way back to, man, the run and shoot, and we can list a number of guys that were successful that we didn't expect to be successful and guys that weren't. And I think that um, oftentimes the systems that they're in can be difficult to evaluate. You know, it's harder to find good inside linebackers anymore. It used to be difficult to evaluate offensive tackles because teams were running, you know, option football, veer schemes, wishbone or what have you. Now we get great film in, in evaluating whether guys can pass protect or not. But then conversely, we get more difficult film at other positions. Uh, to your point with quarterbacks, I, I think that um, I think one thing that's hard to measure is their ability to multitask and process and make decisions. It's one thing, like you can visit with someone and you know they can be intelligent, but man, how quickly can they deliver the information and how quickly can they get through the progression? Um, are they accurate? There's some fundamental things that we have to see that are present. That's the same thing, more or less, that Troy Aikman said years ago. Yeah. Uh, first and most important is processing information for a quarterback. Second is accuracy. Third is decision-making on the spot. And that ties in with, you know, you look at a coverage and you read it properly. And that, that isn't exactly processing information. There is some overlap. But you will find none of those things at a combine. In which there's, there's no coverage, there's Absolutely. no pressure, there's no risk of a blitz. None of that. You will find none of those things at a combine. And if, if you're Payton, only there, if you're Sean Payton, you're only there to interview people. Yeah, you don't care. You, you don't, don't care about the rest. Care about anything else? I guess if something turns up on the medical test that, that is significant, well, I guess yeah. that. But but you don't worry about the workouts. You, you've seen the, the workouts play, mean nothing. The best way to find out if a football player can play is watch him play football games. <laughs> yes. And the, the funny thing is, this sounds so simple, but it's amazing how many times. Folks get it wrong, and and, and Peyton. Well, it's amazing how many times that guys who are evaluated one way before the combine are evaluated differently, for better or for worse, after the combine's over. And I'm like, based on what the interviews are all confidential, right? Allegedly, and, and now, and then, of course, there's you know more restrictions you on know? things you can ask, and and. Uh, Players can decline the the yes. silly IQ esque test yeah. that always well, ends up well, with the, yes. I mean, with ridiculous assertions. CJ Stroud, how accurate? Yeah, that the, the that cognitive test sure whatever turned out to be on which he fared poorly and, and, and Peyton, had absolutely nothing because he's one of the best quarterbacks, not young quarterbacks, one quarterbacks. of the best quarterbacks. Period. Immediately in <laughs> processing information. Yes, Peyton did say it. Today as well, and one thing that I really liked. There's some fundamental things that we have to see and that are present. Sometimes it's not as difficult as we make it out to be. Yeah, I saw that, but I also saw the other aspect of the column. Yes, uh, that uh, quoted Peyton. I think we'll be really good at this, and I think to some degree, to some yep. degree. We're glad that a lot of people aren't. That's the Sean Payton we know and love. Right. He's, it isn't enough to say we know how to do it. We're better you than... You knock, quote-unquote, right. 
a lot of other people who aren't good at it. And I'm thinking, how do we know beyond correctly evaluating Drew Brees? Well, a lot of people did that other than Sean Payton. Yeah. They just didn't have the power Sean Payton had to get Drew Brees to come to New Orleans. Nick Saban wanted Drew Brees just as badly for the Miami Dolphins, just as badly as Sean Payton wanted him for the New Orleans Saints. Nick Saban didn't have control over personnel. Well, Sean Payton has point. control over personnel here uh-huh. for sure. Worth noting the Broncos tonight have a meeting with Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy, the already high riser uh, yeah. when it's coming in, even, even prior to just throwing a uh, running so 40s they have to and trade up the game i guess they will have bo nicks of oregon visiting them tomorrow as well uh folks cats long been out of the bag but i mean you get the hint right russell wilson's gone can we stop with that nonsense i, I seriously just stop with that just be done you, with you've that. been imploring people to do that for weeks seriously keep doing it weeks Keep doing like when did, weeks, months. months. Yeah, it, it's it's over. Seems like years. It's over. It's, like you know, it's seriously, over. move on. It was over the second they benched him for real. Not yeah. threatened to bench him. Although, you know what? That was probably the beginning of the end. Feeling like Ferris it wasn't Bueller the end of the end. The movie's over. Why are you but, still but, here? But, go home. Right. Right. Yeah. Go go home now. <laughs> it's gone. The, the minute it was officially announced by Sean Payton that he was looking for a spark. And moving from Russell Wilson Done. to Jared Stidham, it was over. And everybody knew it. And thankfully, um, the two major correspondents for uh, ESPN, Jeff Legwald, and although it's been a little slower in coming around for Nick Cosmeyer of the Athletic, Legwald said the same thing we've said from the beginning. One, it's over. And two, the Broncos, he's, if not said this straight out, he's strongly insinuated that the next Bronco quarterback won't be as good as the previous one. Yeah, that too. Keep and that the previous one ain't Jarrett Stidham. It's Russell Wilson who played most of the 26 game. 26 touchdowns to eight seven. picks on top of that. Scouting combine will run through Monday, and of course you'll get a lot more uh, clickbait and manufactured drama in between then. We'll try to do our best to sift through it for you. Russell Wilson's on his way out. Valeria Nachushkin, however, is on his way back with the Avalanche having a major game tonight. Nachushkin will not be part of it, but he is expected to be back soon. What will that mean for the Avs? We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Now I've been crying lately Thinking about the world as it is why must we go on hate? Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. After a month away from the team. Larry Nachushkin is back practicing, training, and getting back into shape after, you know, a different, it's a different time away there. And got to get a little bit of time there to get back in sync with his teammates, but was cleared to practice and did practice yesterday that he's certainly not going to play in this game. The Avs have not talked about when they will activate him, but we'll just hypothetically take a look at what happened with Sam Girard. 
Sam Gerard spent roughly five weeks in the program in November and December. He was cleared and practiced on the 22nd of December when he came back. He played on the 31st. He missed three games during that span. Played, of course, eight games after his first practice. Were that to roughly be the same target for Nachushkin, he'd miss tonight's game against Dallas, two road games on Thursday in Chicago and on Saturday in Nashville, and then could theoretically, if the pattern holds, be back on Monday the 4th at home against Chicago. And I think that is probably, unless we hear otherwise, a realistic within one game or so probably going to be the case. You know, maybe it's another uh, game away. But if he's back practicing, getting back into shape, this is something that the Avalanche have to be looking forward because Nachushkin, when he left, was playing hockey as well as he has played over the course of his career. And all his teammates have said the same thing. Mm-hmm. At least his career with the Avalanche. And I don't recall any periods in Dallas that were not like, very good not like for him. No. Now, yesterday you got quotes. Obviously, Kale McCarr said it's awesome to see him around. Right. Mental health comes first. Hockey comes second always. We're all friends in this room and we'll support guys like that. Uh, Logan O'Connor said it's nice having him in the right mindset. We were more worried about the individual than what he is as a player. He right. cleaned up that kind of the, the that side of things, and now having him back is huge. There is also, though, the statement from the NHL, which we talked about a little mm-hmm. bit before we came right. Up. And it, it, it's not terribly clear, and maybe it's not supposed to be. Nishushkin's care continues to be administered pursuant to the player assistant program. Right. And so, I, obviously, Avalanche didn't do anything illegal. No. He was cleared to practice. And, and he has to be cleared to practice by if the... he's still operating under the auspices of the player assistance program, I, I wonder if it might be a little longer before he's actually Perhaps. playing in a game. And I, I said we talked about it yesterday, but we both agreed. It'll take him seven to ten days to get back in a game shape anyway, I think it might be more like 10 days to two weeks rather than one week. Uh, we will see about that. But that statement, and again, I know they have to be very careful in administering this kind of program. And we all know that the level of recidivism is very high when it comes to this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It, the door hasn't closed and never will close if you have an it addiction. It can be easy to re- It can relapse. be managed, but relapses are more common mm-hmm. than not. And so the, the league, the player assistance program, and the people administering that program have to be very careful that, that he's under their care still. That's the official statement. Yes. And I, I I imagine there was something somewhat similar with respect to Sam Gerard back in December. I just don't remember it being stated this way. By that the phrasing was not the same, but the program, the player assistance program, which is handled by the NHLPA and the NHL jointly, has to 
approve the player being ready to even return to the ice in practice. And Sam Correct. Girard, uh, at the contemporary reports, the Denver Post and others at the time, uh, confirmed that Girard was allowed to practice in concert with the program, which decided that he was cleared to practice. So Nachushkin presumably is in the same boat. They felt that he was far along enough in the program that he could get back on the ice. Right. And so uh, we will see. But when he returns, whether that's a week, a week and a half, uh, something like that, we'll see. But the the impact for the Avs, remember, the, <laughs> the trade deadline is March 8th. But you look at the lines right now, and presumably the line combinations tonight Which would will be, be what we've seen for a, a while. Week from Friday. Not that far away right. if we're talking about Nishushkin's return. Correct. Anticipating that next week at some point, maybe. And then the trade deadline, which is a week from this coming Friday. Right. Um, it, it it gets dicey. And I, I'm reading the same stuff you are, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, particularly those who follow the Avalanche very closely. And you have all range of opinion on who's going to do what or not do anything at all. You have executives anonymously Mm -hmm. suggesting that it'll be wild at the deadline. And then you have others who say, I don't see that much going on this year. Players may still be anxious in the days leading up and maybe even the weeks leading up to the trade deadline. There are those who don't think there will be much going on. There's already been a fair amount of movement among some of the. It, top it feels guys like the biggest moves already got been made. Traded. Uh, yeah, it right. feels like the big moves have actually been made. Yeah. it's going to be a bunch, of, maybe a bunch of smaller moves. Maybe uh, because the teams yeah. that are interested in being involved hey, have limited salary cap space. Listen, including two years the Avs. ago, uh, the Avs did great work. I mean, Lekkinen and Manson at the deadline right. in particular. Oh, those are two great moves. And Manson didn't even play very well until the playoffs mm-hmm. started. It took him a while to get acclimated. Lackanen was good from the beginning. But there's not that many. So you have the game tonight. You have Thursday's game and Saturday's game. So going into and, next uh, week, you know, maybe he comes back on the 4th. If he comes back on Wednesday against Detroit, the game against Minnesota is on the trade deadline. So it will be after the, the, the trades have been concluded. So you only have five games let, to take a look at what this team let's does. let's make it clear. Um, the record over the last two years with Valerie Nishushkin in the lineup for the Avalanche is 65-19-9. The record without him is 21-24-3. Wow. All right? and That's jarring. The, the 65-19-9, that's a 122-point pace across an entire season. The 21, 24, and 3 is a 76-point pace. If you want to translate into that winning percentage, with him, they're winning almost three out of every four games or possible points. They're getting three out of every four possible points, almost 74.7%. 469, not even 47% of the available points when they don't have him. I think you can tell one's a Stanley Cup contender and a very strong one, and the other is not even close to being a playoff team. So you have these two extremes with Nashushkin and without that don't apply to McKinnon or McCarr, mm-hmm. strangely enough. The gap isn't that wide between games they've missed and games they've played in terms of uh, the Avalanche success. 
Here's the other thing that to me is a little concerning. Against the Pacific Division, for reasons I don't necessarily understand, apart from the fact that other than Vancouver, every team in that division has been up and down, some up more than down, some down a lot more than up. 14-3-1 is the avalanche record against the Pacific. Really good. That's a winning percentage of 806. Against everybody else, their own division and the two Eastern Conference divisions, 21-16-4. That's bad. I'm going to offer an interesting idea. Really bad. And we'll see what the Avs do next week with the trade deadline, and it, it might throw it all to bits. But if I were the Avalanche, I would consider, if I were Jared Bednar, I would consider. I'm not breaking up that that 20s line with Miles Wood, Ross Colton, and Logan O'Connor. I'm leaving that well, line. That, that's your third line. Where it is. But that should be your third line. That should be your third line. Yes. What I am considering doing, depending on the trades, is now that you have presumably, by next week. Lekkanen and Nachushkin healthy. Drouin, who's been playing better, and Parise, who's fit in quite nicely. You have two left-wingers and two right-wingers, except you really have three right-wingers and Miko Rantanen, except we've seen Miko Rantanen center a line. Are you going where I think you're going with this? I would have McKinnon center one line, and quite frankly, I would have Bednar and McKinnon decide, who do you want? Do you want Drouin and Nachushkin? Would you rather have Lekkanen and Parise? Uh, pick the two. And Rantanen, you're centering the line on the other two. I and that's would, what I would uh, very cons- very seriously never consider. have thought that there would come a time where I would make this suggestion. Because I love McKinnon and Rantanen I do too. playing together. But you can't be a one-line but, team. You know, I thought the Az back in the day were pretty good when Sackick and Forsberg mm-hmm. would be put together, particularly by Bob Hartley, uh, who liked to do it more than Mark Crawford did. And uh, when Hartley did it, Sackick didn't mind because Sackick was pretty good playing with just about anything. Yeah. Forsberg didn't like it even a little. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I don't know that you have a choice but to go in that direction. I don't either. And, There's not enough scoring. I, I think... You know, you, you, sure, you consult McKinnon, but you also, uh, you know, even in games, you you rotate these people on through and see what clicks. Maybe Lekkonen is better with McKinnon, but maybe he's just as good with Rantanen. Or maybe you have two big bodies with Rantanen and Nechushkin, and that works. has and... played well with McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Uh, McKinnon plays with or without Drouin, the way McKinnon has played this year, which right. is exceptionally well. It, well enough to be a Hart Trophy candidate, and maybe the leading one at this point. Apologies to McDavid, but the first two or three months count, too. And I know he wasn't totally healthy, but McKinnon wasn't totally healthy last year, and nobody said, well, you know, when he was healthy, he was right there with McDavid among the best in the league, which he was. I mean, he missed more than 20 games last year, McKinnon did. That, that counts. I know McDavid wasn't missing games, but I, I, I accept the fact that Connor McDavid doesn't complain about injuries, and he probably plays hurt more than most people do. I, I'm not questioning his toughness at all. But anyway, um, I, I would just see 
how it works. McKinnon, Druan, McKinnon, Nashushkin, uh, McKinnon, Lekkonen. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I think, would not break up Colton Wood. Nope, and that's my third line, and I leave it. And if that's your third line, any scoring they give you is kind of a bonus. Um, I'd put Renton on that second line and see who clicks with Renton, too. That that makes a difference. We'll Somewhere talk more about line. this, of course. And maybe uh, the KHL kid yeah. comes into Kovalenko, play Kovalenko, which may be part of it as well. So we'll find out. Uh, soon enough, the playoff, uh, playoffs are coming quick, but the trade deadline comes quicker. The Avalanche have a monumental game against the Stars tonight. We'll break more of that down later in the program. But, again, uh, last night in college basketball, women's college basketball, CU lost their fourth consecutive game to their fourth-ranked opponent. They've gone from number four to number 13 in that span, and that was prior to the loss to UCLA. How are the men doing up in Boulder and the ones in Fort Collins? Big game for the Rams tonight. We'll talk about the local college programs next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Bad night, of course, for the Colorado uh, women's basketball team losing to UCLA. They've now lost four straight to number 17, Oregon State, number 22, Utah, number 7, USC, number 8, UCLA. They only scored 45 points last night against UCLA. Their ranking has uh, absolutely plummeted. Since then, we'll find out what will happen with the new uh, rankings, of course, in a couple of days. But nevertheless, the Colorado women are locks to make the tournament. Over in the men's side, it most certainly is not. Why don't we take a look, Sandy, starting off with the Colorado Buffaloes before heading our way to Fort Collins because they have a game tonight. The Buffaloes, four games left. They have home games at Cal. Uh, pardon me, with Cal, Stanford, at Oregon, and at Oregon State. The game against Cal tomorrow will be a, a 6 p.m. start on the Pac-12 network. It feels for the Buffs, who are in a more favorable position in their conference, that they still have to probably win three of these last four at a minimum in order to still be considered candidates for the tournament they're sort of hanging on by their fingernails right now on the bright side uh, unlike the women's program which seems to be having some uh, some real issues at the moment the men seem to be maybe rounding into form a little bit and starting to gel obviously there's no time like the present but when you look at these uh, last four games cal first on the list is that about right do you have to win three or four or do you probably have to run the table well if you run the table You'll certainly finish in the top four. Which means you'd get a bye in the Pac-12 Conference Tournament. And that's one fewer game you have to win. If you win three out of four, I'm not sure you'll finish in the top four. And then you'll have to win a couple of games, maybe, I don't know, maybe even more than a couple. Um, you know, if if you don't finish in the top four, I'd, 
where's Colorado now? Fifth? They are, well, they're tied for fourth tied with 9-7 with UCLA. But, but they lost to UCLA. But they lost to UCLA, right. So they're technically fifth. And were they to lose to, the, to Cal on well, Wednesday, they, they, they'd they, drop just, behind them. I think we can all agree they can't lose to can't Cal. lose to Cal, who has a losing overall lose, record. They can't lose to Stanford. Those are home games. Yep. They Against can't lose to Oregon record. State. Right. They can lose to Oregon. Um, Who's 11-2 and two at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't want my tournament fate resting on beating Oregon in Eugene, right? I I I just don't think that would work out uh, very well. Um, the schedule for UCLA in their remaining four games, the Bruins at Washington, at Washington State, Arizona. At home, Arizona State at home. Um, three and one might be good enough to beat out UCLA. Uh, Oregon, which is right now in third place, has a much, much easier schedule. Three out of four at home. Oregon State at home. At Arizona, that'll be a tough one. CU at home, Utah at home. Uh, well, that makes it so because they're, they're not going to finish third. We're they're not going to finish to third. beat Oregon. Of course, they will have swept Oregon. Yeah. yeah. So as long as they so, can, as long as they could gain well, one game on them, but they, but the Buffs would probably have to win all four here's, here's, in order to you do know, it. They're, they're they're two games behind. Uh, I'm sorry, one game behind. You're right, one game behind Oregon. Oregon. So to beat out Oregon, you have to beat Oregon. <laughs> right, which means you really have to win so, all four uh, to to finish third. Right. Three out of four might be good enough for fourth, but I, I think you still you win three out of four. You got to win a couple games in the tournament. You got to win at least two games in the tournament. You don't have to win the tournament necessarily. Um, listen, uh, their position improved on ESPN.com in their bracketology, which uh, gets released twice a week: once on Tuesday morning, once on Friday morning. The release came today, and their position did improve. So beating Utah had some value, um, along with winning at USC, because USC is playing pretty well now. Uh, right. They, they're, they're winning some games. They aren't the cellar dwellers that they were two or three weeks ago in the Pac-12. The last four teams in, Seton Hall, Virginia, Providence, Gonzaga. The first four out, the first team out is Texas A&M out of the Southeast okay. Conference. Then you have Villanova. Then you have Utah. Then you have Colorado. Colorado's not next four anymore. They're first four. Right. And they just beat Utah. Right. And frankly, I think they're better than Villanova. Um. Getting ahead of Texas A&M, I, Colorado's in a weaker league. SEC's better than the Pac-12. I don't know that Texas A&M will be able to hold on to that spot. I don't think Texas A&M is a tournament team. They're only the first team out at this point, and that, that is isn't terrible position, but they're going to have to win some games and maybe some games against teams quite clearly superior 
to Texas A&M. But they're out, and I'm talking about the Buffs now, out of that next four group, which now includes Butler, Ole Miss, Kansas State, and Iowa. Well, the names you're not so hearing. So their position has improved, improved from next four out to first four out. And if they win the two home games, they're not going to back up. Right. They'll probably still be on the outside looking in. Beating Oregon State is not going to help them that much. But beating Oregon, I suspect if they could win out in these next four before the tournament begins, win out, then I think they would go into the Pac-12 tournament as a tournament team. And and maybe maybe (laughs) one of the last four in, which means they have to play a play-in to get into the field of 64. But that that would be going into the Pac-12 tournament. So winning all four, I I, I think we can be more clear on where that would put them. Less of a concern uh, when it comes to being a tournament team. So before Collins with the Colorado State Rams, the current bracketology are seventh seed and would yeah. play uh, Utah State Wake Forest. Utah yes. State jumped up. But the Rams in but seventh Utah place State in the Mountain also West. a seventh seed. Utah State right. and, and ranked and 22nd CSU. in the country. Also a seventh seed. Yeah, Utah State ranked Not 20. Not ranked 20. Utah, oh, Utah State, State ranked 22nd in the country. Colorado State and the seventh was. seed. Colorado, Colorado State is not But even. still ranked a seventh seed, despite not being as highly ranked yeah, as Utah yeah. State. So Although shows roughly CSU where they're considered. really fell in the rankings. Now, now the rankings aren't the seedings, but they fell in the seedings because they were five a week ago, and the two losses put them from five to seven. But they went from 22nd to if you count honorable mention votes, 33rd. That's quite a drop. I don't know that anybody made a much bigger drop than CSU made uh, this week. Those two road losses did hurt. It did. Uh, they they could have won both games. I, I, I'm not saying they should have won, but they could have won both, and they probably, probably should have won at least one of the two, and they didn't get either one. And that's been an, the only pattern with CSU that, I find uh, troubling this year is their propensity over and over and over and over and over again, especially on the road to lose close games. They don't get blown out. They really don't. But, boy, they lose close games on the road every well, time. Well, not and on the road nine tonight. And that nine-point lead they had with 40 seconds to go in Laramie and right. blowing that game, that's an albatross. It is. But tonight, at least, they are back at Moby, where they are fourteen and one on the year. They will have a national game on FS1 and, against and Nevada, undefeated in the league. Yeah, un- that, undefeated that, in the league. Right. And the only team they lost to is St. Mary's, and St. Mary's is clearly a tournament team. Right. So you get Nevada tonight at eight thirty p.m. start up in Fort Collins. So a big opportunity for the Rams to make another statement. They have twenty wins on the season, and who knows? Because uh, they are in seventh place in the Mountain West, but two and a half out of first. It's clumped. So here and there, if they beat Nevada tonight, uh, they gain a full game on Nevada, who's one and a half ahead of them. So there are an opportunity for the Rams to still make a little bit of noise if they can get the win tonight. We'll check on that, of course, tomorrow. That game, again, as I pointed out, 8.30 p.m. start, even though it is in Fort Collins on FS1. The Denver Nuggets off tonight, although they have another big game as well tomorrow when they take on the Kings, who have beaten them all three times that they have played this far, uh, thus far this year. And Sandy, you've mentioned it before. It's 
for the standings, it might not matter because the Nuggets have already lost the tiebreaker to the Kings. But you don't want to get swept. Give the other team confidence and have a little bit of second thoughts in your own mind, a little bit of doubt. We'll talk about the latest with the Nuggets and the idea of how they will manage Jamal Murray's shin splints throughout the remainder of the season with our lead Nuggets reporter and podcast host of many, many fine podcasts. Ryan Blackburn joins us on My Life Sports next.